Welcome to The Art of Intimate Marriage with Dr. Jennifer Conzin. Sensitive yet frank advice for enjoying every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts. Dr. Conzin is a licensed marriage and family counselor, sex therapist, as well as an adjunct professor, award-winning researcher, author, and speaker. With today's conversation on the biblical approach to fulfilling intimacy in marriage, here's Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Jennifer Conson with The Art of Intimate Marriage. And in our previous broadcast, we spent some time going over questions that I get from workshops. And these were questions actually from singles and teens and students and single parents and so on, those who are not married, yes, they do have questions about sexuality and they have pretty blunt questions about sexuality. Well, they have a few more. So we're going to go over those. And although this is the art of intimate marriage, these are questions that married couples, when they come to my married workshops, that they often ask as well. So this is definitely going to cover the bases for those who are married and those who are single. We are going to do in some future broadcasts specifically answering questions for married couples. I get a lot of those from workshops. Some of you have sent me your questions through email. Feel free to do that at jenniferconson at yahoo.com. Send those in my name at yahoo.com. And we will spend several broadcasts answering questions. Today, we're going to keep doing some of those from these different workshops for singles and campus and teens. What are they asking? So let's just start off with one. One individual asked, how do I avoid lustful thoughts towards women at church? This was from a single brother. And then a single sister asked, how tempting is it for brothers if we don't pay attention to the way we dress? You know, really, they both come down to that same, how do young men, single young men, interact with single young women And how much, like within the church, and how much do we address attire within the church family? How do we do that? And so valid. I was really, honestly, I I read these and I go, good for you for asking these questions. I do recommend the work of Douglas Rosenau. He wrote Celebration of Sex, and he has a chapter in there that I really appreciate on how to overcome sexual lust, thinking about another person in a sexual way who is not who you are not married to. And one of the biggest things he talks about is making someone into a person. And so he he specifically addresses this for men about making any woman that you're tempted to think thoughts about thinking of them as a person. So if you are a single young male and you're tempted and pulled towards thinking lustful thoughts about these women at church, these sisters at church, one of the greatest ways to approach that is instead of thinking of them as a body, thinking of them as a person. You can examine this some more in our book, Redeemed Sexuality. We actually have a whole chapter on that. But... When you're up and close in personal relationships in a big spiritual family, it can be particularly hard. And sometimes we do need some extra care because sometimes touch becomes very close within singles ministries, within campus ministries. I have three campus students right now, as in my children. I have four kids and three of them are 
in campus groups. And they do. They'll come hang out at my house and they're all kind of just hanging on each other, <laughs> overlapping limbs of the body. And um, they can often be physically close. And so sometimes that gets brought up, like, how should we interact physically? Well, I think one of the things is we do have to be thoughtful to others. That sometimes, that there's absolutely nothing wrong with physical affection. In fact, we should be affectionate with one another. However, we do need to be thoughtful. And how do we find that balance of being thoughtful so that maybe the way we physically are interacting is causing someone to think sexual thoughts or to feel the sexual pull? So that's a hard balance to find. Um, you know, sisters do need to pay attention to how they dress, not because there's anything inappropriate about their bodies. And of course, you can go back and listen to a previous broadcast on body image and God made our bodies. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then in 1 Corinthians, we get this really great picture about how there are unpresentable parts of the body and we should treat them with special honor and special modesty. So what does that mean? That yes, we do need to be aware of these special parts of the body. So these would be the parts that, you know, our breasts, buttocks, obviously the penis, you know, these parts of the body that are sexual, the vulva, those are the parts that are to be treated with special honor and special modesty. So covering them up and not exposing them in public or to brothers isn't a matter of we're ashamed of the body. Actually, you're treating it with special honor. And so this isn't taught very well in the churches. It's taught in terms of don't make your brother struggle. And sure, we do need to be thoughtful. We do need to make sure Paul does a great job in both the book of Romans and the book of Corinth in explaining both first and second Corinthians and explaining how we need to be thoughtful of the struggles of others. If you're with somebody and they have a challenge with alcohol, don't be drinking in front of them. If you're with somebody, so Paul addresses the fact that, you know, you might be completely free to eat that meat that's sacrificed to idols, but you know, if you're with somebody who feels like that's sinful and wrong, don't be eating that in front of them. So, yeah, the human body is amazing and it is fearfully and wonderfully made. And the breasts and the buttocks and the the penis and the vulva, they're, they're beautiful. However, they are not to be exposed in public. In fact, treating them with special honor and special modesty is showing them honor and showing how incredibly awesome they are. So covering up the body isn't just about keep him from struggling. It's also about treating that body with honor. Now, the definite extra on that is that, you know, it is challenging for men who are trying to keep their thoughts from being lustful about a woman. It is hard if your breasts are exposed. It is because many men are drawn to the breasts. If your buttocks are hanging below the bottom of your shorts. I've been walking in public and I have a young woman in front of me and the bottoms of her cheeks are peeking out from her shorts. It was just last week as I was driving and I was stopped at a light and 
high school student walked by and you could see her cheeks. And you know what? We've all seen it. It's quite common today. Is that how we should be? Should we be exposing these incredibly sensual, beautiful parts of the body? Should we be exposing them? Well, the Bible actually says no. You should treat them with special modesty. You shouldn't display them in public, not because there's anything shameful about them, but because it's a way of treating those parts honorably. And yes, the other part is be thoughtful of those among you who are striving for purity, pure of thought, sexual purity in their minds. Pay attention. Be thoughtful. Uh, Again, go read Romans and Corinthians and really look at how Paul addresses that. You know, people do dress in various ways that can be provocative. I tell people, because they ask me, should we wear those bralettes? Well, not probably even the right term, but they're lace. They come up. You can tell I'm, I'm exposing my age here. They're lace. They come up around the throat, and they're a bra, but they're a part of the outfit. And so people have asked me, should we wear these? So if you're, if you're one of many who wear them, you can send me an email and remind me of the name of what these are called. But so they're lace. And the, the thing I tell people is it's really more about sensuality with should we wear certain pieces of clothing that are exposed? Should we wear where you can see a bra strap? Should you wear where you can see these lacy things peeking out? Should we wear... Um, material that's see-through and then you have a bra under it or a tank top under it. So there's a lot of different looks right now that are quite common. Should we wear those? Does it make brothers struggle? Well, let me tell you, when married women are thinking about how to wear clothing that is sexual and sensual for their husbands to enjoy or even to enjoy for themselves, let me tell you, the material is revealing, exposes the breasts, So this would be lingerie, right? And teddies and things like that. They expose the breasts. They expose the buttocks. They expose all the beautiful parts of the body for the husband to see. Well, those pieces of clothing are actually out there in everyday wear right now. And we need to examine that. If you're exposing yourself in a way that's sensual and sexual, that is actually supposed to occur within the marital relationship. The other piece is that certain types of clothing are sensual just in and of themselves. So you do have to consider the use of lace and the use of satin, anything that's in certain cultures anyway. Those materials are considered the materials used for lingerie. And They are in lingerie. So if you're wearing things that look like lingerie, you may want to consider whether you should wear that in public and whether that could be something that is so enticing that a young man would be drawn to thinking lustful thoughts. And maybe you save that look for when you're married and you can wear that freely in your own home in front of your husband. So... Yes, I do tell people, pay attention to the material that's used, to the cut of the material, not because it's bad, not because it's not beautiful, not because we shouldn't honor those things, but because, yes, we are called to consider other people when we're making choices about what to eat, what to drink, and what to wear. Consider those thoughts, sisters, as you're helping one another on what to dress. Definitely, men, on how should you treat the women in your congregation? Well, Paul gives a really helpful Direction here in 1 Timothy 5, 2, it says, treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So 
How do you treat that woman? Well, you treat her as a sister in Christ and that she is worthy of honor. Paul actually covers this in Corinthians as well about how even if a young man is married or is soon to be married, he's engaged to a young woman, he is supposed to treat her with honor. So what does that mean? How do you treat that sister? Well, how would you treat a sister? You would definitely not treat her as a sexual person. You wouldn't allow your thoughts to linger on her body. You would remember that she's a person with interests and spiritual growth that she's working on, that she's maybe in school or has a job. Maybe she has kids that she takes care of. She has responsibilities in life. What is she as a person? Now, this can absolutely apply for women looking at men, because women will also, not just in the movies where some good-looking guy walks by and she says something about his buttocks. We were just watching Stranger Things the other day, and it's placed in the 80s type life. And, you know, a young man in the show walks by and the girls say something about his butt and how his jeans look on his butt. Well, okay, yeah, it occurs in the movies and on TV shows. But in all reality, it occurs in life. Women look at men's butts and they like looking at men bare chested. So the input I'm giving here is really along the lines of men looking at women, but it can also be applied to men being considerate of women as well. So consider that young woman or older woman. Consider that man as a person. Remember that someday that woman is going to be somebody's wife. And how would you want your wife, your future wife, to be treated by other men? How would you want your future wife to be treated by other men? So that's how you should treat that woman. Also, there is the possibility that one day that woman might be your wife. (laughs) And how are you going to treat her. The other possibility is she's going to be someone else's wife. And how do you think that man who's going to one day marry her would want you to think about her and to consider her? So consider her future. Consider her as a person. How do you want the brothers to think about a woman who's going to be your wife or who might be someone else's wife one day? Also think about it this way. For those of you who are already fathers, Would you want your daughter to be viewed that way by other men? For those of you who aren't yet fathers, and you may be one day, you may have daughters one day, how would you want that woman, that young girl, to be treated? How would you want the men at church to think about her? Where would you want their eyes to go? You see, our lives are bigger than the individual moments, the individual pulls the individual lustful thoughts. Our lives are bigger than that. So it may be helpful to you to understand the bigger picture. And boy, we just spent a nice chunk of time just answering one question. (laughs) But let me remind you here what we're doing. This is a broadcast that you can listen to previous broadcasts on my website. It's podcasted on the art of intimate marriage. So if you've missed previous ones, go ahead and look those up and listen to them. Or perhaps this topic or other topics are bringing up questions for you, you can go onto that website and send a question to me, or you can send it directly to my email, like I mentioned earlier, jenniferconsonantyahoo.com. You can also go on there and you'll see links for The Art of Intimate Marriage, our book for married couples, and you'll see links to buy Redeemed Sexuality. You can find those both on Amazon. You can also find our cards advertised on the site and on Amazon, the Intimate Marriage Cards that are very helpful tools to help couples talk openly about sexuality. And then also on there is a link to 
um, providing support. This is a listener-supported ministry. And if you'd like to see this continue or to continue in other cities, you can go on that link and provide some financial support there. So utilize these other other information areas. There's also blogs as well on the website. Go look there. So let's go on with some of the other questions that singles and teens and students have asked. Here's a good one. Is marriage meant just for procreation? (laughs) Actually, you know, obviously marriage can lead to babies and babies, though, can come without marriage. We do know this. People can become pregnant and not be married and that there are people that are married who don't end up having children. Yes, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it does say, be fruitful and multiply. And that the only place the scriptures teach that having sex in order to have children is within marriage. So, you know, it can be said that procreation is only meant for marriage. But is marriage meant for procreation? Meaning, is that the only thing it's meant for? Or is that the main thing that it's meant for? Actually, marriage is meant for all kinds of other wonderful things. And so that's important because sex without being something that's focused on creating a child should be quite enjoyable and should occur within the marital relationship. Marriage is about showing love. It's about serving one another. It's about submitting to one another and enjoying intimate connection. The couple that did our premarital counseling They always helped us understand that you want to choose a partner that you're going to be able to be a partner in the gospel with them and that they're going to help you get to heaven. Marriage is an amazing spiritual partnership. So it's it's not just about sex, (laughs) although sex should be occurring in marriage and it should actually be quite fun. But that sex and marriage is not just meant for procreation, although that is where it happens. All right, let's look at another one. I love this question. This this individual asks. What is the line between between sexual arousal and lust? Now, if you've listened to any previous broadcast, I talk quite a bit about the fact that we do get, we do become sexually aroused. Sometimes it's because we're exposing ourselves to things like watching pornography or reading a, a novel with a sexual scene in it or watching a sexual sh- scene in a show or having lustful thoughts or touching ourselves to arousal. So yes, there are certain things that we do to create arousal, but sometimes arousal just happens. Sometimes in a dream, sometimes when you are in a kind of a semi-awakened state, sometimes it just comes into the mind or a sexual thought will flash through the mind or someone will pass by you that you feel attracted to and the arousal will happen in your body or you're just sitting watching TV and up will come a Victoria's Secret commercial and boom, you feel aroused or you're on Yahoo and you're sending an email and boom, up comes an advertisement. So it happens. Either thoughts or pictures or just thoughts in the mind and arousal will happen. And that in and of itself is actually a God-given response. So you can listen to that or read about that more on other broadcasts and in our book, both books, The Art of Intimate Marriage and in Redeemed Sexuality. We talk about how arousal is a God-given response. But what's the difference between arousal and lust? Well, in Matthew 5, 28, it says, don't look at a woman with lust. And the word there, I'm probably not pronouncing this correctly, but epithumio, And what that means is the word lust there means focused on, it means desire, it means to covet, 
It does mean to lust. It means to set the heart upon something with a passionate desire. So obviously this kind of focus or this kind of desire can be on anything like money or food, on drink, alcohol, on anything, on a person, on a child, on a job. It can be on anything. However, in this passage that Jesus is being quoted, Matthew 5, 28, it is about sexual desire and it is towards a woman that Jesus is addressing here. So what's also important to realize is that the Greek word uh, epithumio isn't quite the word lust doesn't quite give us an understanding of the Greek word because the Greek word is stronger than our English understanding of the word lust. It's it's not just a passing glance. It's not just a wish. It's a continued gaze where the gaze should be elsewhere. So it's a continued passionate desire and gaze. That's the word here used in do not look at a woman lustfully. So an initial look of noticing someone's beauty or just noticing their noticing them and, and, and noticing they're, they're attractive and that you do notice a sexual pull, that in of itself does happen. Where does it cross over where it's connected to lust? I think it is when that gaze continues, when it's not just the passing glance or just the slight wish that passes through the body, but it's when there's a dwelling upon it. And so this can happen in in different scenarios. It's when someone doesn't look away quickly. It's when someone does experience arousal and then continues to allow themselves to stay in that state and then indulge that state. It's choosing to linger and take the second look. It's choosing to allow the body to, to have that sexual arousal and stay there. So there isn't really this majorly clear line between arousal and lust. But if someone does not respond to their arousal in a God-pleasing manner, then they become entwined with lust and it can lead to sin. You know, I love James 1.14, which talks about... By his own evil desire, a man is dragged away and enticed, and that, that this then leads to sin and leads to death. And we have to pay attention to enticement. Enticement and arousal initially isn't sin. That's the draw, the thing that draws you. But yes, where is that line where it becomes sin? Well, it appears that when one lingers and then pursues, so one goes from that quick, oh, awareness to dwelling on the thought, keeping the eyes there, and then pursuing the thought, that would then fall under lust. You know, once you draw that line between this is lust, what the Bible actually says is that we shouldn't even get close to it. Don't give Satan a foothold. Don't even get near to that sin. If the enticement or the arousal does come up, Okay, then have a really good plan on how to deal with it, which we talk about multiple different times. I talk about that in different podcasts on sexual addiction and how to deal with being pure and remaining pure. So go put together a good plan on how to deal with those pulls. And then also don't put yourself in situations where you're going to have a higher chance of crossing that line between arousal and lust. That's very much like... You know, an alcoholic isn't going to go into a bar, um, <laughs> especially uh, when they're in early recovery. 
you know, that if they're struggling with wanting to drink, going and putting themselves in a situation where people all around them are drinking is probably not a good idea. And so putting yourself on a beach where everybody's in thongs and exposing all of their bodies when you struggle with lust may not be the best idea. Or staying up late at night surfing the web when there's a ton of stuff available might not be a good idea. You you might go quickly from arousal to lust in those situations. So yes, you do need to make wise choices about where you are and where your eyes are. I love how in Job it talks about, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Go make a covenant with your eyes to decide where you're going to put them and how long you're going to leave them there. Another person asked kind of something in addition to this whole idea of what's the line between arousal and lust. And they asked, if arousal is considered natural, how do you make sure that it's guided by God and how do you not be tempted by Satan? If it's normal, but doesn't feel right, how do you overcome that thought? And are there ways to control it? This is actually a combination of a couple different questions I've gotten. Again, we need to accept God-given responses. That's actually a part of pursuing purity. Yes, Satan is the master of deceit. He is the father of lies. And he takes everything that's good and he twists it. The tree of life was good. And God said, don't eat of it or you'll die. And Satan says, surely you won't die. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. So he takes this thing and he twists it. And he's really good at that. And the reality is Satan does this with sexuality. Sexuality is created to be good and beautiful. So we should consider it natural, these arousal states. They are natural. They are from God. Now, what Satan wants to do is he wants to put that arousal into pornography. He wants to put it into an adulterous relationship. He wants to put it into violating others with it. He wants to put it into luring people to do things that they shouldn't do. So Satan wants to use this God-given physiological response of sexual arousal, and he wants to use it against us. He wants to twist it. And he will. He'll tempt you to indulge it. He'll tempt you to think about it more. He'll tempt you to feel guilty about it. So the first place is to go, hey, this is a God-given response. And now I want to use this God-given response in a way that honors God. Think about it this way. You have glands in your mouth. And when you think about your favorite dessert, okay, everybody right now, as you're listening, think about your favorite dessert. I'll bet your glands just started salivating. Now, does that mean you should go eat that dessert right now? Well, maybe not, because if you haven't had a good meal, this might not be the time to eat that dessert. So just because our body responds to a God-given response doesn't necessarily mean we should act on it right at that moment. So consider, God does give us an amazing body. He does also guide us on how to use that body. So this is Dr. Jennifer Conson with The Art of Intimate Marriage. Thank you for joining us for The Art of Intimate Marriage. Now, let's be real. This is not a typical radio program, and we know it generates questions. If you have one you'd like Dr. Conson to address here on air, email her at jenniferconson at yahoo.com. Conson is spelled K-O-N-Z-E-N. Jennifer Conson at yahoo.com. We hope today's program was beneficial to you. And if you agree this unique voice should be on the air, your donations will help keep it there. 
To give or to get more information about the ministry, Dr. Kanzen's Center for Sexuality in San Diego, or to get more resources for improving intimacy in marriage, visit us on the web at theartofintimatemarriage.com. And for more on experiencing the marriage God designed, join us this same time next week for The Art of Intimate Marriage.